I can tell you from experience that we've converted people on the phone that are very, very conservative that understand that, oh, this isn't something that I need to think about with my partisan blinders on. In fact, I'd be better served if I didn't, because this stands to help everyone. Hi, I'm Peter Marks. Welcome to Rhythm Nation, a podcast that explores the intersection of activism and music. My hope is that with each episode, you'll come away with a greater appreciation for the political context of music and be inspired to make activism a larger part of your life. So currently, this podcast is supporting an organizing program to the music community in my home state of Oregon around important local ballot measures. One of those measures, Measure 109, allows for research into psilocybin therapy, a mental health therapy that uses psilocybin, which is a plant medicine derivative found in mushrooms, to treat depression, anxiety, addiction, and other mental health challenges. Today, I'm honored to have Measure 109 campaign manager Sam Chapman on the pod to talk about this initiative and how we can support it. Sam, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Peter. So let's dive right into it. A lot of people listening to this are wanting to know how they can support and also talk about this measure that you're you're leading. Let's just start with psilocybin, not a word you hear in everyday parlance. Can you, can you talk us talk to us about what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I'll step back even one more degree here. Um, many of your listeners may or may not be already aware that we have a mental health crisis here in America. And unfortunately, here in Oregon, that crisis is especially acute. Uh, according to Mental Health America, we actually have the most severe and highest rates of mental health illness in the entire country. And that was prior to COVID. Um, and so obviously the pandemic has compounded the rates at which people are struggling with depression, anxiety, uh, and addiction as well. And so, um, you know, research uh, at leading institutions uh, has shown that psilocybin, specifically psilocybin therapy, has shown real promise to help people struggling uh, with depression, anxiety, and addiction. So you might be wondering, what is psilocybin? Well, psilocybin is the active compound found in hundreds of different strains of mushrooms found around the world. Um, but again, uh, recently, over the past few years, um, really promising studies have been coming out of leading medical research institutions such as Johns Hopkins, UCLA, and NYU that show that not only psilocybin can be effective, but it can be uniquely effective in treating depression, anxiety, and addiction. And in fact, psilocybin therapy has shown so much promise that the FDA, the Fruit and Drug Administration, recently granted psilocybin therapy a breakthrough therapy designation for treatment-resistant depression and major depressive disorder. And so you might then be wondering, what does that even mean? So there's, there's two things that go into a breakthrough therapy designation from the FDA. The first is safety profile. We've actually known for 30, 40 years of studies that psilocybin is not only non-addictive, but it's non-toxic. And while it can absolutely produce challenging uh, experiences for the participant, that's exactly why we've put forth a measure um, that will allow people to participate in a psilocybin therapy program in a regulated, a licensed environment with a trained facilitator um, to ensure not only that the facilitator has the training and the certifications and the education required to provide effective services for that client, 
but also so the client has protections as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that stand to benefit from accessing psilocybin therapy. We all probably know someone, but we're also not purporting that this is for everyone. There's certainly some people that um, this may not be the best option for them. Um, but we do believe there's a large segment of Oregonians that are suffering that deserve new options where, where others have fallen short. And so we're really excited um, to be introducing the first of its kind psilocybin therapy program at the state level here in Oregon. So the, the key thing that I heard as for what this, this looks like is that it's a supervised experience that, that takes place in a medical setting with a licensed professional. Can you tell me a little bit more about like what that looks like? Like, is this, is this in hospitals? Or is it, like, how do you, qual- how do you qualify for this sort of thing? What is the, what is the logistics for actually like participating in, in this and who gets to participate? Yeah. Great questions. So the primary goal of measure 109 is to create a licensing and regulatory framework to serve those who seek psilocybin therapy that can show that they can safely benefit from it. Um, so the psilocybin services modality is three general steps. The first is what we call a preparation session. This is where a client will sit down with a licensed and trained facilitator to do a, a health background assessment to ensure that the participant is mentally and physically capable of safely accessing psilocybin therapy. Again, um, there are some folks who you know, may be on certain medications, let's take SSRIs, anti-anxiety or anti-depression medication, um, where, you know, accessing psilocybin therapy may have additional complexities. And so ensuring that those complexities are not only accounted for, but that the facilitator has the training and background and education required to best serve each individual client based on their background, right? So there are some people um, that may be contraindicated and we don't spell out those contraindications within the measure, but there may be some folks that have certain conditions that are not fit to access psilocybin therapy. And so that will be one of the issues that has taken up uh, during a two-year rulemaking period after this passes in November, which I'll, I'll get back to in a second. But um, back to the, the three steps of the services modality. So the first being the preparation session, ensuring this person is, is mentally and physically fit uh, to access psilocybin therapy. Um, and really doing that assessment with the facilitator is the first step. Also to really establish, you know, a relationship with the facilitator. Um, you know, just as developing a relationship with, you know, a talk therapist is incredibly important, uh, the same can be said for this as well. So the second step is the psilocybin therapy session itself, which as we've mentioned before, will only occur at a psilocybin service center. And the participant will be um, under the supervision and, and, and we'll be working with a licensed facilitator the entire time. So when we talk about a regulated, licensed, strictly controlled environment for psilocybin therapy to occur, this is what we're referencing. It's a very therapeutic forward model in which people will be able to access psilocybin therapy. And so to your specific question, um, which is a very literal and good one, what will these places actually look like, right? Um, so there will be certain requirements that will be defined within the two-year rulemaking period that I mentioned. Um, but I think there's going to be a pretty wide range of what they physically might look like. Um, you know, they very much could and probably will exist in a literal hospital setting, um, especially for folks that, you know, maybe are dealing with um, end-of-life anxiety, 
right? We know from a lot of studies that have come out of NYU specifically, psilocybin um, has really helped a lot of people and stands to help a lot more people really face what's going on towards the end of their life, end of life anxiety, the depression, um, the trauma that can be caused and being given a terminal diagnosis. Those are things that psilocybin therapy has shown to really help people break out of the mental loops that are very easy to get stuck in when it comes to being given a terminal diagnosis. And so, um, you know, on one end, it could be a hospital setting. On the, on the other end, um, it very well could be more of a, a retreat style setting where you have acupuncture and massage and um, other types of therapy available um, where people could go for a week um, and, you know, have access to other types of uh, treatments and therapies as well. Uh, and then in the middle, you may just have very literally a therapist office, right? Uh, and so that's kind of some of the different, you know, the spectrum of options that we envision um, will come out of this program after the two-year rulemaking period. So um, the third part of this service, uh, last but not least, is called integration. Uh, again, just as going to a talk therapist once may not entirely unpack or even get to the core of why you're there in the first place. The same can be said for psilocybin therapy. Being able to go back and unpack the psilocybin therapy experience with your facilitator is incredibly important to really um, give yourself an opportunity to prolong the benefits right, uh, of that session. And so we, research is really starting to show that the more integration work that people are able to do after a psilocybin therapy experience, um, often the more prolonged those positive benefits can be. So we really like to make sure that, you know, the integration is absolutely um, a part of that component as well. Got it. Thanks for laying that all out. That gives me a much better idea of what this this actually looks like. What what explicitly does this not do that people might have some misconceptions when they, when they hear that psilocybin will be allowed in some capacity. What are some things that you, you make a point to clarify that this does not do? Yes. It's incredibly important that people understand um, that despite here in Oregon being a state that has legalized, um, you know, cannabis for adult, you know, recreational use, this is not legalization and this is not for recreational use. Uh, again, so there will be no retail sales of psilocybin permitted. There will be no off-site consumption, possession, or cultivation of psilocybin. There will be no branding or advertising allowed of psilocybin products. And there will be absolutely no access for minors. So you'll have to be at least over the age of 21. And of course, as I mentioned before, you'll also have to go through a preparation and screening um, evaluation to ensure that you can safely access and benefit from psilocybin therapy. So again, as easy as it is, especially here in Oregon, for people to want to make comparisons to um, adult use cannabis or even medical um, cannabis. This is not anywhere close to that. This is a much more laser-focused therapeutic approach with controlled and supervised environments that really, you know, we've seen is what's required to have the highest you know, beneficial outcome for the most people. Um, and that's what we're seeing at the clinical trials, um, you know, in these different uh, medical institutions as well that have been doing this research is that, you know, we, we're really trying to strike the balance of ensuring that 
the regulations and the training and the certifications and the requirements and the science, you know, are appropriately coupled with the fact that, you know, there's a lot of people suffering, especially here in Oregon, from mental health issues. And we believe those people deserve new options. Again, that this isn't necessarily for everyone, but a lot of the current options have failed a lot of people. And we believe that they deserve new options that, and we believe that psilocybin therapy is one of them that shows great promise for helping a lot of people. So there's a great book on this subject, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan that I've read. And it, it talks a lot about how, how widely used um, some other antidepressant drugs are. They might have a number of other side effects that might have a number of drawbacks. Why, why introduce psilocybin as another alternative to that? What is the promise that this holds that maybe other drugs have fallen short in? Right. Um, so this, uh, this goes back to the FDA breakthrough designation, breakthrough therapy designation, um, in that this, you know, the first aspect of that designation is safety profile. And I'm realizing I forgot to add the second part, but it's timely because I get to add the second component of that designation now, which is that psilocybin therapy has shown promise above and beyond all current options. Um, specifically for major depressive disorder and treatment-resistant depression. We very much expect that that to be expanded to other mental health conditions as well as the research continues to expand and grow. Um, but, you know, there's so many people that are on daily medications, whether it be anti-anxiety, anti-depression, et cetera. Um, and what we've seen through the numerous studies on depression and anxiety to date is that one, you know, just one or two psilocybin therapy sessions can help people break the mental loops that we get stuck in that are all, you know, a common denominator of anxiety, depression, and addiction are the, these mental loops um, that many of us have gotten stuck in at one point or another. And psilocybin therapy has shown to help people break out of that loop in a way that allows them to better understand and see themselves in the situation that they are in and provides themselves with a new tool to understand and take action on those different mental health challenges that people suffer. So, you know, can psilocybin therapy replace daily anxiety and depression medication for everyone? Probably not. Does the science and does the FDA believe that there's real promise above and beyond what exists today? Yes, absolutely. And so that's one of the other opportunities that we have here in Oregon is not only to capitalize on the existing research and the science, but to continue to expand it, right? I mean, there's so much promise that has been shown through the existing studies. And frankly, we're just scratching the surface. Right. And so Oregon not only has a chance to be the first in the country to provide new options to so many people who are suffering, but we have an opportunity to set the golden standard for a therapeutic model that really stands to, you know, help people in ways where nothing else has, has been able to do that. Um, and so, you know, if we're able to pass this law and it helps, you know, five people get off of daily medications, which I should also mention are not cheap <laughs> and are not always covered by health insurance, right? So, you know, there is a potential cost savings analysis here 
but at the end of the day, it really comes down to providing new potential positive outcomes for people who are suffering where the current options have fallen short. That's a really interesting way to put it, that this is not something you're going to be taking every day. This is not like a residual uh, pain reliever like medicinal marijuana is for some people. It's not a uh, daily antidepressant that you're taking, such as SSRIs and other other drugs of that nature. This is, in some ways, a, like a mental surgery of, of, of it's like a infrequent event to get you out of the, the mental loops that you mentioned. And that's why the bill calls for it being in, in a controlled setting where you go to have this done with a, with a licensed professional. And yeah, this is, it's not intended for this to be like a frequent thing necessarily for, for folks. It's designed, as I understand it, to get them in a place where they don't need frequent updates of, from drugs or other, other means of, of therapy. Is that, is that fair to summarize? Yeah, that's right. Um, for example, Chad Kusky is one of our campaign spokespeople. He was a uh, he's a, a veteran, retired Navy SEAL. He was in the SEALs for 18 years, had 12 combat deployments. Chad came back with every problem that you could ever imagine um, from being in combat for that long with that many deployments, right? From anxiety, depression, um, you know, he was abusing, you know, alcohol and drugs and had PTSD and was angry and all of those things. And so, you know, and as Chad says, one in just one psilocybin therapy session, he was able to understand that he had a problem for starters. He didn't, he was not able to, to see that he was in trouble, but psilocybin therapy helped him. And so Chad is obviously, you know, on the extreme end of the cases, right? Like he really has the whole cocktail of mental health you know, issues as a result of being in combat. And, um, you know, Chad, you know, participates in um, psilocybin therapy, maybe once every three months. And that's, that's a pretty high amount. Um, you know, it's hard to say what the average will be, but it's not something that you take every day, uh, by any means. And in fact, if you talk to anyone who has had a higher dose of psilocybin, they'll tell you they're not craving to do it the next day. <laughs> uh, it's really not, um, you know, and so we, you know, there's, and there's lots of research that really talks about the non-addictive nature of, of psilocybin. It's, it's almost the opposite. And you're like, Oh, I'm going to wait a while until I think about doing that again. Um, and that's, it really speaks to the challenging part of the experience, right? But when you are prepared, when you understand, when you go into a psilocybin therapy experience with intention and you understand that psilocybin is not the answer it is simply the tool you are the one that has to still swing the hammer and so psilocybin really helps people break down those walls that for whatever reason whether it's anxiety depression ptsd etc that allows them to access themselves in a way that they could not otherwise and psilocybin is simply that tool that allows people to access themselves in a way that they were not able to otherwise. And the things that you walk away with from being able to access yourself for the first time, maybe ever in some of these folks' cases, is incredibly profound. And you'll often hear people attempt to describe their experience, um, but it is most commonly and probably accurately described as ineffable. Um, it is simply an experience that um, you know a lot of people compare to the top 
three most influential experiences of their lifetime up with, you know, having a first child or, you know, the, the loss of a loved one, you know, or, you know, the first time you, you know, um, you know, got a huge acknowledgement or something like that. Right. I mean, it's, it's out there. And so, you know, the importance of really understanding that this isn't unlike pills, right? The pill is, here's your solution. If you take this at this rate, this many times, you will be better. That's the theory. And I think a majority of Americans and a majority of Oregonians as well, don't buy that anymore. Um, turns out there was a lot of additional motives above and beyond actually just helping people <laughs> uh, tied up in, in, in pharmaceutical industry, which will be no surprise to any listeners here. With psilocybin therapy, it's really about the outcomes and really helping people understand you know, how psilocybin therapy can help people achieve those outcomes in a new way um, that hopefully can provide far less side effects and detriment on the body and the mind. And so that's one of the many reasons why we're very excited to provide new options for folks where others have fallen short. So you've listed out a few different kinds of conditions that psilocybin therapy stands to address, including depression, anxiety, addiction, and uh, mental health challenges, end-of-life despair. Are there any other people or groups that stand to benefit from having access to psilocybin therapy? Without a doubt, there are. Um, you know, from the campaign perspective, we are very clear that the only conditions that we, you know, proactively speak to are ones that um, have gone, you know, undergone rigorous clinical trials and studies. Um, so, you know, with that being said, there are new trials starting all the time. I mean, you know, there's trials starting with OCD um, and psilocybin. There are trials that are now underway um, for, you know, chronic pain and psilocybin. Right. So when I say we're just scratching the surface, we really are. Um, and while there is great promise for, again, depression and anxiety specifically and addiction coming right behind those two, um, we're just getting started. And so, again, to have the opportunity for Oregon to once again lead the way in a forefront, progressive, you know, opportunity to help people. Um, to correct draconian drug laws, to provide people with new healthcare options. Um, that's the Oregon way, right? From same-sex marriage to death with dignity law um, to cannabis legalization, you name it, right? This is, this is our jam. And so it's really exciting to, and, and I feel very privileged and lucky and humbled to, you know, be able to have an opportunity to participate in, and helping make this happen for so many people who are suffering here in Oregon. So going back to the Michael Pollan book, mm -hmm. How to Change Your Mind, it also talks about the history of, of psilocybin and how in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of pitfalls that led to it being criminalized rather than further researched. Mm -hmm. How is this legislation set up to avoid similar pitfalls? That's such an excellent question. This measure was literally written with that backlash in mind. Um, you know, the reason that that backlash happened is because there was not, you know, there was little education, there was little research at the time, there were no talks about regulations and controls, right? Um, and, you know, we're very cognizant um, of a lot of people that are 
very aware and were around and and, and very cognizant of, of of the Timothy Leary era backlash. Um, you know, tune in, check out, right? Um, and <clears throat> you know, that's that's exactly why we took this, you know, what you know some people call incremental step, uh, and others call you know, uh, totally out of left field. Right. Um, but again, that's one of the reasons why, you know, once this passes in November, there will be a two year rulemaking period where a psilocybin advisory board will be appointed by the governor will be made up of community leaders, health experts, doctors, researchers, other state agencies, um, and folks who have experience in cultivating and working with psilocybin from you know, a, a therapeutic and a harm reduction context. So there's going to be a whole table of experts and probably numerous subcommittees created to continue to flesh out um, the details of exactly how this program will need to work, what the requirements will be um, above and beyond what exists now within the measure um, and to, to achieve licensing. Um, and, you know, we need, we need, we have an opportunity here, but you know, this is this is our opportunity to set the standard, and it's our opportunity to screw it up. <laughs> you know, um, but I think what we're working with right now is probably the best foot forward anyone could have put. Right in 2022, we very much expect numerous additional ballot measures to be introduced. Some of which will make it before the people, and others that will not. And we're hopeful that if we can pass this here in Oregon that we can set the golden standard, that we can say, look, there is a first incremental step to helping the public understand what the value of psilocybin therapy can be in a regulated and controlled environment, right? There's still a lot of stigma around psilocybin in general um, and you know, larger psychedelic medicines that are also getting a lot of attention these days. But in order to be politically viable, and to really ensure that the safety protocols and mechanisms and protections are in place for the licensees and the clients, we knew that we had to be very careful and intentional. And so while two-year rulemaking period may be you know, too long for many people, it might not be long enough for others who are skeptical, right? But we needed to move forward with something. And so um, you know, we are very cognizant of the historical context in which psilocybin has been discussed and where it has gained momentum and where it has completely ended up in a backlash. Um, and so we've really crafted this measure with those things in mind and are confident that when Oregonians understand what psilocybin is, what the research shows, what our measure does, and sometimes more importantly, what our measure does not do, and who stands to benefit from having access. When Oregon voters understand just answers to those basic questions, a majority of them support this measure. So that's our challenge, um, is simply educating Oregon voters on those questions. And if we can do that, we will win. Um, but with that being said, this is our campaign to lose as well. Uh, we're projecting somewhere around 2.2 million votes to be cast here in Oregon this election. Um, which means that we need 50% plus one to vote yes. That's one over 1.1 million Oregonians need to vote yes for us to win. And so 
you know, based on our polling, we believe we've probably got somewhere around 800,000 yes votes in the bank already. But it's a lot easier said than done converting, you know, 250,000 no or undecided votes to yes. And so we've got our work cut out for us for sure. So a lot of people listening to this podcast are members of the Portland music community, mostly young people. Who are the people in their lives who they might need to convince the most? This measures benefits based on the polling you've done. Is there certain demographics or age ranges that might be more skeptical of this than others? Yeah, absolutely. So the one thing across the board that we know is that, you know, whether you're Democrat, independent or Republican, everyone is persuaded by the basic facts of psilocybin, the research, the measure, and who stands to benefit. Um, When we look into the different demographics of who supports out of the gate and who needs more attention, uh, it's probably no surprise to your listeners that younger voters more typically across the board out of the gate say, yep, I'm supportive. You know, what can I do to help? And who is it that I need to talk to? It's your parents. It's your grandparents, right? <laughs> I, I literally refer to the demographic that we need to reach out to the, as the soccer moms and grandparents of the world, right? They vote at a high rate and they make decisions for the entire family. That is really our target demographic. And so, you know, women over the age of 50, huge, right? Um, you know, we get, you know, the biggest sway from a political standpoint from Democrats. But again, we get huge sways from independents and Republicans, too. So, you know, as I as I talk about, you know, more and more these days, who it is that we're reaching out to and how we're reaching out to them, um, there's been a, a motto that's come up, which is that we cannot afford to leave any vote behind. Right. And so obviously different demographics will move based on different you know, emotional narratives, right? So with with conservatives and rural folks, we might put our foot forward with our veteran angle first, right? With soccer moms and, you know, more folks that that live in the city, you know, we'll probably put a mother and a doctor forward, right? But at the end of the day, we know that the right combination of science and facts and regulations that are contained in the measure combined with the emotional stories the things that pull on the heartstrings that help people understand that someone they know could benefit from this, that they may benefit from this, right? You know, mental health, depression, anxiety, addiction, those are not partisan issues. Um, They don't register Republican, Democrat, or independent. They affect everyone. And I truly believe that as we continue to move forward in time in this country, and specifically here in Oregon, that this type of issue, psilocybin therapy, will continue to transcend partisan politics, which few things can do these days. And so, you know, for folks that are out there listening, thinking about, okay, I know some people, you know, that probably have never heard of this, or they're so anti-drug that there's no way we could ever convince them to vote yes on this. I challenge you to give it a shot. You know, go to voteyes on 109.org. Pull some of our talking points, you know, um, offer to volunteer. We've got all kinds of opportunities to help educate people. If, if you live in a, uh, a house full of people who already signed the petition and, you know, they're on board, then volunteer with the campaign. You know, we're, we're reaching, we're calling Oregon voters every single night um, and starting to have these conversations with them. And I can tell you from experience that, you know, um, 
we've converted people on the phone that are very, very conservative um, that understand that, oh, this isn't something that needs I need to think about with my partisan blinders on. In fact, I'd be better served if I didn't, because this stands to help everyone, not just certain political demographics. And that's one of the things that I think, especially in the time that we live in now, between you know, the pandemic, between, you know, Black Lives Matter, between the, the fires and everything else that's going on, you know, if you need a glimmer of hope at the end of the tunnel, join the campaign because we've got one. And if we can get this done, we stand to help a lot of people who have either been struggling their whole lives um, as a result of just the mental health crisis that we have here in Oregon or as a result of recent events. Um, take your pick. You know, um, they really are struggling now more than they have. And there's a lot of people who are struggling. And so I would definitely encourage folks to to consider to, you know, educate yourself if you're not familiar. Again, vote yes on 109.org is our website. You can learn more. You can you can sign up to volunteer. You can donate. You can request a lawn sign. We just got a bunch of lawn signs we're starting to distribute throughout the city of Portland and around the state. And, you know, um, it's going to it's going to take a big community but we're lucky in that we know we have one you know over 160,000 registered Oregon voters signed this petition to put it on the ballot from over 300 cities i didn't even know there was 300 cities in Oregon to be honest um but there are <laughs> know that yeah. there there are apparently and again it just goes to show that there are people in every nook and cranny of this state with every varying competing political background experience you could think of. But we can all come to the table and agree that we need new options for people who are suffering. And so we're really encouraging Oregon voters to think seriously about the people that they know that might benefit and to vote yes on Measure 109 come November. Well, I really like the way you, you pitched that. The people who stand to benefit are not necessarily the, the folks that you would assume would be behind something like this. And it's on us as organizers to tell the story of who this benefits and why it's important. And if we do that right, I, I agree with you. I think this is this seems like a winnable thing that we can we can do and make a change with our votes in Oregon. And yeah, for that reason, I'm, I'm so excited to be in this fight with you, to be supporting Measure 109. Um, and thank you so much, Sam, for your, your work leading this, this initiative. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on, Peter. It's, um, it's always a great uh, pleasure to be able to continue to expand our reach out into networks that may or may not be familiar with us. So again, um, if you're curious to learn more, vote yes on 109.org. Um, please feel free to reach out if you have questions about the measure, you want to get involved. We have 49 days until election day. Uh, and yes, we are counting every single day. In fact, we're counting by the hours at this point. <laughs> and um, yeah, any help that, that you're able to provide is, is greatly needed. And together we can make history twice by not only putting psilocybin therapy on the ballot for the first time ever in the country, but creating the first ever psilocybin therapy program that stands to help so many who are suffering from mental health illnesses here in Oregon and hopefully in future states to come. Well, I really appreciate your time, Sam. Thanks for being here. I, I really think people will find this as helpful. Um, again, it's vote yes on 109.org. It'll be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Sam, for all your work and your time. We're behind you 100%. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate the opportunity. 
So we talked about some pretty serious mental health issues on this episode. Depression, anxiety, addiction, and other mental health challenges. I just want to acknowledge that these are extremely hard times and that if you're dealing with these things, you're not alone. Between the pandemic, the fires here in Oregon, the election, and now the passing of a true hero in Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it can all be a lot to handle. Everyone has their own therapeutic approaches, but one of the main ways that I deal with tough times is to turn to music as a form of therapy. So for the music portion of the show, I'm going to play a DJ mix that I made of some therapeutic ambient music that I've used in the past to fall asleep to. My hope is that you find peace and rest with this, which you're going to need to keep fighting to make change. I'm not going to talk about the tracks on this episode, but you can find more information on the music and all things Rhythm Nation on my website at petermarks.us. Thanks for listening.
Thank you. 